Welcome to the weekly Comic Web Old Time Radio Program podcast. We sell old time radio programs, Golden Age comics in PDF format, and we have other free podcasts. Visit comicweb.com for more information or find us on Facebook and iTunes. This week we have an episode of The Fred Allen Show from January 9th, 1949. It's called Book Review. America presents the Fred Allen Show. The Fred Allen Show with Fred's guest, Mr. H. Allen Smith, Morton Hopper, Minerva Pius, Peter Donald, Parker Penley, the DeMarco Sisters, and Al Goodman and his orchestra. And this is Kenny Dalmar, Dr. Dalmar, prescribing an early visit to your Ford dealer's showroom. It'll do you good. It'll actually stimulate you to feast your eyes on the beautiful, beautiful 49 Ford. It'll exhilarate you even more to get behind the wheel and drive it. Feel that surging equipoise power. Feel how the king-sized magic action brakes operate 35% easier. Feel how the hydrocoil and paraflex springs soak up the bumps. Feel the comfort of the midship ride. Take the doctor's advice. For a thrill that will stir your pulse, see the new Ford this week. Well, it's Sunday night again, and here comes Fred Allen rolling along in his new Ford to keep his weekly date at the corner of Main Street. As Fred parks his Ford, he hears a voice say, Mr. Allen! Oh, Portland, say Portland. <laughs> say, I'm, uh, I'm a little late, Portland. Have you uh, been waiting long? No, I just came out of the radio store. Oh. Uh, Mama sent back her radio. Oh, there's something there you want to read that wasn't written? <laughs> but, uh, your mother sent back her radio. Is it broken? Well, Mama says the radio works, but it mixes up all the programs. Oh, the radio mixes up the program. Uh-huh. Last Sunday night, Mama turned on the radio. Yeah. When Jack Benny came on, he called himself Horace Height. Incognito, huh? <laughs> Horace Height, huh? When Edgar Bergen came on, he sounded like Phil Harris. Phil Harris, huh? And when Mama tuned you in, you were the news. Well, I know. I was good then. Oh, I was good. That was the night for me. That was my night. I was all over. You know, at the moment, radio appears to be in a state of flux. Mama read that your Hooper rating went down. No kidding. That's news to me. I'm still telling the same old jokes. I should have the same old Hooper. I <laughs> what is the Hooper rating? Well, the Hooper rating uh, is a so-called service that allegedly tells you approximately how many listeners the average radio program theoretically has. Well, how do they do it? Well, there's a little mystery involved there. There are 60 million radio sets in America today, and they say Mr. Hooper makes around 1,500 phone calls. Well, sir, after calling about one forty thousandth of the number of the radio homes, Mr. Hooper tells you down to the first decimal how many people listen to your program. And when he finds out what the 1,500 people listen to, he multiplies it by 40,000? Yes. It's like taking a bite of one roll and telling you how many poppy seeds there are in the entire company. Country, I mean. Entire country instead of company. I ad-libbed there, but it didn't help. No. Where's the I didn't recognize the country in the shape it's in at the present Might as well say anything. It's better than what we've got on the paper. Weren't the polls all wrong on President Truman? I'd like that line. Would you like to read it again? Uh huh. Weren't 
the polls all wrong on President Truman? Yes, but they had months to work on the polls for the presidential election. The beauty of the Hooper rating is that it comes out every two weeks. They don't have time to be wrong, you see. They're in. <laughs> well, enough about the great statistical figment, Portland. I guess I'll get a paper and read some authentic news. Well, I'm coming, too. Sure, come on. Let's take a walk down Main Street. All right. Come on. <laughs> Well, this is the puzzle page I have here. Puzzle? Yes, you see this top puzzle? It says if 15 men plowed a field in five hours, how long would it take 30 men to plow the same field? They couldn't do it. Why not? Because the 15 men have already plowed the field. Oh, well, I'll, I'll write in and explain that to them. He'll probably be glad to hear it. Say, here, look here on this next page of book review, The Way to Be Happy by Lawrence Gould. This must be some book, Portland. Look, it tells you how to be happy. Well, what is the best way to be happy? Well, I guess different people have different conceptions of happiness. Now, let's ask a few strangers as we walk along Main Street. This man coming with a dimmer on his shiny blue serge suit. Pardon me, bud. Claghorn, say Claghorn's the name, son. Tender to Claghorn, that is. Well, son. Don't hold me up, son. I'm busier than a man with one eye watching a burlesque show. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going around to Republican neighborhoods explaining the president's message on the State of the Union. Oh, well, what did you think of the president's message? Little old Harry covered everything like a lunch wagon chef in fly time. <laughs> well, what about... <laughs> what about the farmer? Well, us politicians is working close with the farmer. Good. While the farmer's down on the farm raising his crops... Yes? The politician is down in Washington raising the farmer's taxes. What about housing? Well, how can men build houses when women are using all the foundations? Uh, <laughs> well, if I... we don't get the foundations, housing is in bad shape. And if you do get the foundations? You ain't gonna know your wife from a bundle for Britain. <laughs> well, what about balancing the budget, Senator? We're raising the liquor tax. Why? Let the man who drinks carry the load. <laughs> Senator, what about the Wagner Act? Well, Sean Harris planning a lot of things, but he ain't bringing back Vaudeville. Well, what is this fair deal? <laughs> Vaudeville's still dead, isn't it? <laughs> what, is what, is this, what is this fair deal the Democrats have? Well, the fair deal is like a game of cards. Everybody lives like a king, but nobody's got no jack. Well, tell me, Senator, what do you think is the best way to be happy? Son, a lot of people think with money you can buy happiness. And with money you can't buy happiness? No, son. But with money you can buy a lot of things that'll take your mind off happiness. <laughs> In other words, to be happy... Son, today there's only one way to be happy. One way? Be a Democrat. Sean, go on. Come on, that is. It sure is a nice night to stroll down Main Street, Portland. Look at this sign in the milk bar. Milk bar? It says, fresh milk, we squeeze to please. Ah, uh, say, look who's coming out. The milk business is done, <laughs> too. It's, look who's coming out of the cigar store. Titus Moody. Hi, Mr. Moody. Howdy, Bob. I, uh... Just, uh, just saw you happen to see it coming out of the cigar store there. I know. I was in sending my brother Huber some eating tobacco. You're uh, Huber? Huber, yeah. He lives in a small town. Oh, how small is the town? You've heard of One Man, Illinois? That's a town? The population's one man. And your brother lives in One Man, Illinois? No, no. Huber comes from a suburb there. <laughs> oh, a 
a suburb of one man. Uh, it's called Boy, Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> that must really be a small town. Well, tell me, Mr. Moody, uh, confidentially, what do you think is the best way to be happy? Oh, I don't hold too much of being happy. You don't? When a fellow comes up to me and says, smile, brother. Yes? I'm apt to knock him on his fritter. <laughs> Haven't you ever been happy in your whole life? Well, let's see. Only once. Uh-huh. One summer, I was selling King Kong handy-dandy feather dusters. Yes. I was wearing a thin seersucker suit. Uh-huh. I had a big sample case full of these feather dusters. Yes. In the end of the sample case, there was a hole. A hole. Sometimes I'd get tired and I'd sit down on my sample case. Yes. Through, through my seersucker suit, I would feel them feathers. <laughs> and you were happy? Why, I wasn't exactly happy. No. But I sure was tickled. So on, <laughs> Oh, come on, Portland. What are you stopping for? Don't we know this little lady coming out of the beauty parlor? Oh, we certainly do. Mrs. Nussbaum. So who is from nowhere paging me? Oh, it's you. Yes, I just saw you come out of the uh, beauty parlor there. Did you Did you have a treatment? I'm getting the wakes, but it's a waste of time. How, how do you mean? Well, first I'm getting a henna blint. Yes. <laughs> then it's coming under face skin lotion, but also vanishing sour cream. <laughs> Next is the uh, patting and lifting the chin. Yeah. Finally, my hair, they're making a crew cut. A crew cut, huh? A waste of time. A waste of time? It's still coming out me. I see what you... Well, tell me, Mrs. Nussbaum, what do you think is the best way to be happy? Well, you do the philosopher is saying, <laughs> happiness is like heartburn. Yeah. Outside, you couldn't see it, but inside, you are feeling it. Well, that is Udall's uh, definition of happiness. What about you? What do you think is the best way to be happy? Formally, happiness to me is disappearing on the horizon. Oh, really? Always I'm seeking the searching. Where is happiness? Uh-huh. To me, it could be Shangri-La. Shangri-La. <laughs> And uh, happiness continue to elude you? Until I'm getting married, I'm not realizing what true happiness is. And after you were married, you realize? Happiness I had when I was single. <laughs> Gosh, you sure meet some prime hoi polloi on Main Street, Portland. You haven't found out much about the real way to be happy, have you? No, I'll try one more character, though. This little man coming along with the monogrammed ferret running up and down his lapel. Uh, pardon me, chum. I rejoice, brother. My name is Humphrey Titter. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Humphrey Titter, eh? I'm the joy boy. Stand back, brother. Give me room. I'll let go a bluebird. Ah, yes. <laughs> ah, yes. Titter. You write unusual greeting cards and jingles. Yes, everybody sends cards to debutantes who are coming out. And you? I send cards to people who are going in. People who are going in? You stole a car. When you were caught, you sent the car ablaze. You're going up the river, bon voyage, for 30 days. Say, that's a novelty. Very Rejoice, good. brother. Be like the hyena. Get down on all fours and laugh it up. Well, <laughs> Look, Mr. Titter, what about the way to be happy? I shall toss off a jingle to write this down. Uh, what is the title? Are You Happy? Are You Happy? I've got it okay. Are you happy, little man, as at the world you gander, with nations at each other's throats and diplomats yelling slander? 
with taxes rising every year to heights you can't envision, with the shows you hear on radio and see on television, with housing still a problem, with families still in huts, if you say you're happy, little man, I gotta say you're nuts. Go <laughs> so on, Mr. Kidder. Rejoice, brother. Let go of Bluebird. Yes, Anybody. Thank you. Really? What record? It's Al Goodman and his orchestra with the five DeMarco sisters. Uh, not too many details, Portland. What's the song? Bella Bella Marie. Bella Bella Marie. There's a story told in the song of a lover Coming out of the music store, Kenny Delmar. <laughs> Kenny, what? <laughs> what is that thing you're blowing? A dill piccolo? Uh, no, no, I, uh, I just bought a pitch pipe, Fred. I always, uh, you know, need a pitch pipe when I start to sing one of my songs. I, I think you do better with a dill piccolo. I mean, <laughs> instead of the pitch pipe. <laughs> Kenny, after that broken down baccarole you sang last Sunday. Don't tell me that you have the nerve to come around here again with another song. Oh yes, Fred. This song I got tonight is dynamite. Oh really? Listen. I stand back. <laughs> The Ford dealer knows Ford Has a stock of real Ford parts His Ford trained mechanics Keep Fords close to their hearts With his special equipment And factory methods too You should let the Ford dealer Do service jobs for you How about joining me in the chorus? Oh, <laughs> He can save time and money wherever you may roam. When it comes to for service, there's no place like home. Okay, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's change our names, Kenny, and get out of town. <laughs> well, the, the DeMarco brothers. <laughs> 
75 and said, Tony Bromo. <laughs> we can leave on that Seltzer train. You know? <laughs> well, that'll be 12, Fred, but tell me truthfully, what do you think of me as a songwriter now? Kenny, you make a lot of sense in reminding Ford owners that it pays to bring their Fords back home for service, but as a songwriter, Kenny... You and Mark, you, this is only one man's opinion, which I took from one man's family, a little something they had left over from the script. As a songwriter, you are still a pitch-pipe virtuoso, and that is putting it mildly. So long, Kenny. So long, Fred. Well, this is my, uh... That paper boy's yelling louder every Sunday, isn't he? This is my, uh... This is my... This is my uh, corner, Portland. I've got to go over to the radio station. They're having a book discussion program tonight. I'm supposed to be the moderator. You are going to discuss a book? Well, not alone. You know, they have a whole group there. It's a new book called Locks in the Popcorn. It's by H. Allen Smith. Is he one of the Smith brothers? Oh, no, no, no. This is a clean-shaven chap. H. <laughs> Allen Smith is an author. He writes books. The Smith Brothers wrote a book. What book? It was about South America. Smith Brothers? What was the title? There's an awful lot of coughing in Brazil. I do not relish it, and I am not alone in my, uh... <laughs> Portland, a joke like that I wouldn't tell at a firehouse party. <laughs> well, here's the, uh, here's the radio station. I'll have to leave you now. See you later, Portland. Good night. Good night. <laughs> Well, here's the studio, 6A. Say, I'm just in time. Program's going on the air. Presenting The Author Meets His Match. And here, ladies and gentlemen, is your moderator, that popular literary figure, the man who started as a janitor in Brentano's and who, after writing three bestsellers, would like to get his old job back. Mr. Frederick Allen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, and good evening, fellow bookworms. Tonight, in addition to being broadcast from coast to coast, for the first time in its history, our program is standing by and will be televised if the ice melts during the hockey game. <laughs> the book up for discussion... The book up for discussion this evening is Locked in the Popcorn, written by H. Allen Smith and published by Doubleday. We have a brilliant panel assembled. Now, I'm going to ask the critics to introduce themselves. First... I am Dr. Wolfgang Holstein. You, uh, you are a psychiatrist, Dr. Holstein? Uh, yeah, my office is on Park Avenue. In the, uh, in the medical building? Well, uh, not in the building. Oh, not in, not in the building. No, my office is outside on the street. You are a psychiatrist and your office is on the street? Yeah, my couch is on a pushcart. Oh, I see. In between patients, I'm also selling apples. Also, watermelons and seasons. You are a psychiatrist and you sell apples and watermelons. Well, in case socialized medicine comes in, I would have something to fall back on. Oh, very good. Well, now, Doctor, about your literary qualifications. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I just finished writing a book about my experience in mass psychology. Oh, you psychoanalyze masses? Oh, yeah. Once I am psychoanalyzing a whole town. A whole town? Yeah, it is simple. I didn't even need a couch. Well, what was the name of the town? Uh, Davenport, Iowa. 
Well, thank you, Dr. Holstein. Our next critic... I am Prudence Paddleford. And uh, you, Miss Paddleford? I'm the literary consultant for the Rexall Drugstores. Oh, you are a book critic? Heavens no, I'm a book feeler. Oh, a... Uh, a book feeler? Yes, my job is to feel the book. Well, why, uh, I don't want to pry into your profession, but why do you feel the book? Oh, Rexall only carries paper editions. Oh. I feel the pages to make sure they're printed on the proper paper. Well, how do you mean? Well, Rexall chooses its paper to fit each story. Yeah. When a book is sad, we print it on Pond's tissue. Oh, Pond's tissue. Yes. If you cry when you're reading the book, yes. you just tear out a couple of chapters and dry your eyes. Oh, very <laughs> handy, very handy. Now, uh, The Life of Lindbergh, we printed on flypaper. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, we were stuck with 3,000 copies. Ah. Good old Rexall. Here, here. Here. Rexall carries... <laughs> carries simply everything for the reader. Bookmarks, bookends, bookshelves. And this week, Rexall is a special for people who like to read in bed. What is it? A pair of pajamas with a book in the pocket. Well, thank you, Miss Paddleford. Oh, Not cutting you off, but thank you very much. Our time is limited. And now they're turning this into a television's place. We'll have to get through. And now, our international celebrity... I am Boris Shashlik, literary critic of the world's greatest newspaper, Pravda. You... I am the sworn enemy of yellow journalism, Wall Street, and capital gains. <laughs> Mr. Shashlik, do you have books in Russia? In Russia, everything is undercover. Oh, I... I'm having here a list of the Russian bestsellers. What are the best-selling books in Russia? Number one is Forever Stalin. <laughs> Number two is How to Stop Democracy and Start Living. <laughs> which is written by Dale Karnofsky. Dale Karnofsky. <laughs> He's also writing How to Win Friends and Influence Peasants. Does everyone in Russia read? Everybody's a member of the Book of the Month Club. Oh, they have a Russian Book of the Month Club? Every month is the same book. What, uh, what book? Karl Marx. Oh, Readers of the World Unite. Now, please, uh-uh. Uh, uh, no demonstrations, please, Boris. You bore me. Well, thank you, Mr. Shoshley. And now, ladies and gentlemen, our distinguished author of the evening, I am H. Allen Smith. <laughs> Mr. Smith, you are an author. Well, I'm wearing spats, Mr. Allen. That's good enough for me. <laughs> And the title of your new book is Locks in the Popcorn. That's right. Well, that's a most unusual title, Mr. Smith. Uh, how did you happen to call your book Locks in the Popcorn? Well, Mr. Allen, the only way an author can make any money today is by selling his book to the movies. That's right. And to make sure the movies would buy my book, yes. I put popcorn in the title. Oh, I see. And to help the popcorn sale, I'm writing another book. Another book? Yeah, it's called Tomorrow Will Be Butter. <laughs> well, the book we're discussing this evening, Locks in the Popcorn, What? Uh, what is this book about? Well, it's about uh, 250 pages. Well, thank you, Mr. Smith. <laughs> well, there, ladies and gentlemen, you have our exciting lineup for tonight. Our author, Mr. H. Allen Smith, versus our three competent critics. And now, critics... Uh, excuse me, please. Uh, yes, Dr. Holstein? Uh, Mr. Smith's book is called uh, Larks and the Popcorn. That's right. Uh, speaking of larks, reminds me I had a patient once who thought he was a bird. He thought he was a bird? Yes. He would not lay down on the couch. He hopped up on the sink. Well, did you cure this patient, Doctor? Gradually, I am reducing his bird delusion. Fine. When he came to me, he thought he was a big duck. 
Always he was trying to sit in puddles. And you gradually reduced him from a big duck? Yeah, today the patient thinks he is a little canary. Good, good. Yeah, he is almost all better. But he still thinks he's a canary. Yeah, but lately I'm not hearing a peep out of him. Uh, <laughs> yes, Miss, yes, Miss Paddleburn. Oh, when I think of birds, I think of Rexall. This week we're featuring an autographed picture of Walter Pigeon. Oh, very good, very good, Miss Paddleburn. And Rexall's pet department carries live canaries, carrots, lovebirds, and in our downtown store, we have a seagull. A seagull? Sam Seagull, he's the manager. Oh, I is the symbol of capitalism. On American money is the eagle. What's wrong with that? The eagle is worrying about capitalism. He is losing his head. That's why he's a bald eagle. Now, please. Aha! Uh-huh. That's one for our side. Are you listening, Joe? Now, please. I, I had a patient once who was as bold as a pumpkin. Ah, uh, a pumpkin. Uh, oh, thing you're thinking I am a spy. No, who is saying anything? You I never say anything. Uh, just a minute. Oh, this new book written by Mr. H. Allen Smith. Is Mr. Smith in our audience tonight? Well, look, I'm right here at the table. Oh, yes, yes, I'm sorry, Mr. Smith. Now, Mr. Smith, would you mind telling us what your book is about? Well, I used to live in Jackson Heights, but I moved out west uh, to Westchester. In a covered wagon? In a station wagon. Oh, I see. My book is mostly about a city boy's experiences in the country. I bought a house. Uh, yes, yes, doctor. Yes, doctor. Uh, speaking of houses, eh? I had a patient once who thought he was a house. Your patient thought? Your patient thought he was a house? Oh, yeah. To him, his best button was the doorbell. Yeah. And his pockets were windows, and he always wore his union suit backwards. Why did, why did he wear his union suit backwards? So he could have a front door. Why? <laughs> Yes, Miss Paddleford. Miss Paddleford. House. House reminds me. Rexall carries everything for the house. Oh. This week we're featuring a combination waffle iron and clothes presser. Oh, how does this combination waffle iron and clothes presser work? Well, when you press a suit, it comes out looking just like a waffle. It's very handy. Handy, huh? Yes. When you spill syrup on your vest, nobody will notice it. (laughs) What, uh, What happens when you make a waffle? Well, it looks like a waffle. It tastes like a waffle. But it has sleeves on it. Delicious. <laughs> As I said, Rexall carries everything for the house. Houses in America are only two houses. Two houses? The bankers are living in one house, the house of Morgan. Yes. The workers are living in the other house, the poor house. Yeah. Well, as a psychiatrist, I think Charlotte should live in the nut house. Oh, you're a Rexall. Who, who asked you? You're an old boomer girl. Oh, 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 Gentlemen, order. I must remind you, critics, we're here to discuss Mr. Smith's book. Mr. Smith, I read in a review in the Hobo News, I believe, a review that part of your book is devoted to your pet dog, Rufus. That's right, Mr. Allen. Uh, you know, this is also very interesting. I had a patient once, Johann Eigen, and he thought he was... <laughs> this fellow Eigen, he thought he was a dog. He kept punching himself in the nose. Punching himself in the nose? Yeah, he thought he was a boxer. Oh, I <laughs> Did you cure him, Doctor? Oh, yeah, yeah. In three treatments, he stopped punching himself in the nose. And then I gave him my bill. And what happened? He punched me in the nose. Oh, I <laughs> Oh, speaking of dogs, Rexall's Luntinette sells hot dogs. Dogs. Under capitalism, America's going to the dogs. America's going to the dogs. Why are you Russians still borrowing our money? It's a grand lease. 
<laughs> this is very funny. I would like to meet the mad Russian in a battle of wits. Battle of wits? That would be half this you mean. Uh, but now, ladies and gentlemen, please, we must have order. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Mr. Smith. We don't seem to be getting anywhere with your book. Well, I think I know why, Mr. Allen. I don't believe these critics have read my book. Well, how soon find out. Critics, have you read Mr. Smith's book, Dr. Holstein? I don't read books. The psychiatrist only reads people's minds. Miss Paddleford, have you seen Mr. Smith's book? I broke my glasses last week. I can't even see Mr. Smith. Mr. Schlick, have you read Locks in the Popcorn? I thought popcorn was to eat. I didn't read the book. I ate it. Now I have two appendixes. <laughs> You're right, Mr. Smith. Not one of our critics has read your book. Well, then there's only one thing to do, Mr. Allen. What's that? I'll read my book to the critics. Good. I just happen to have a copy right here in my pocket, and here we go. Chapter 1. In all the pages of history, there has never been a more eventful year than 1945. Mighty events followed upon mighty events, and there was enough excitement crammed into that single year to last a century. It was a year in which a man was afraid to leave his radio. And the next week, our guest will be Charles Foyer. Your four dealer has asked me to leave this thought with you. The better we can learn to understand our American economic system, the better it will work. Thank you and good night. Two-gun Gary Moore. Just a minute, you're going to hear a program called Stagecoach. And in 90 minutes, I'll be on. A whooping and a hollering over NBC, the national broadcasting company. The comedian Fred Allen was born as John Florence Sullivan in 1894. He lived the great American story of rags to riches. He started on amateur night in Boston, earning a whopping 50 cents for the night plus dinner. Juggling was his forte with a bit of humor thrown in. From this humble beginning, he honed his punchlines, lost the juggling. He also did the ventriloquism circuit for a while, went on vaudeville, went to Australia. It was the only gig he could get. Then returned to America, went to New York vaudeville, met the love of his life, Portland Hoffa, married her, got bit parts in radio starting in 1932 in the Linnet Bath Club Review, followed by gigs on the Salad Bowl Review, the Sal Hepatica Review, Hour of Smiles, and he got his big break with the Town Hall Tonight program in 1936. In 1939, the show changed its name to simply The Fred Allen Show. His show was very similar to Jack Benny's. In fact, the two had a rivalry, taking swipes at each other for over a decade. The two even had a, quote, battle of the century, where the two traded comedic insults on stage together. They then went out to an alley to finish each other off. The Fred Allen Show featured songs, a monologue on current affairs, a skit performed by the mighty Allen art players. In the 1940s, he created Allen's Alley, in which he would visit oddball denizens of this alley, including Mrs. Nussbaum, a somewhat over-the-top Jewish tenement mother, the farmer Titus Moody, and the instantly popular Senator Beauregard Claghorn. His spoofs of mu musicals were among some of the best old-time radio skits, especially his take on Gilbert and Sullivan and Oklahoma. Rogers and Hammerstein appeared on the show and jokingly threatened to sue for copyright infringement. Although he made the transition from stand-up comedian to full vaudeville to radio, he did not make a successful transition to television. As TV took more and more audience, his ratings fell and his show was canceled in 1949. In keeping with his feud with Jack Benny, Benny was the guest on the final show. 
Alan did some guest appearances on television and was a panelist on What's My Line until he died of a heart attack in 1956. It may have been his past work schedule that finally caught up with him. Fred Allen was a workaholic, working 12 to 16 hours a day. He was constantly working on his script, reading nine newspapers a day to find interesting stories, working with his team of writers, rehearsing with the actors. He often complained about his schedule, but he couldn't keep himself from doing it. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.